Section 40 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3 by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 22, Part 1. This Doctrine Confirmed by Proofs from Scripture. The divisions of this chapter are, 1. A confirmation of the orthodox doctrine in opposition to two classes of individuals, this confirmation founded on a careful exposition of our Saviour's words and passages in the writings of Paul, sections 1-7. to 2. A refutation of some objections taken from ancient writers, Thomas Aquinas, and more modern writers, sections 8-10. to 3. Of reprobation, which is founded entirely on the righteous will of God, section 11. Sections. 1. Some imagine that God elects or reprobates according to a foreknowledge of merit. Others make it a charge against God that he elects some and passes by others. Both refuted, 1. by invincible arguments, 2. by the testimony of Augustine. 2. Who are elected, when, in whom, to what, for what reason. 3. The reason is the good pleasure of God, which so reigns in election that no works, either past or future, are taken into consideration. This proved by notable declarations of one Saviour and passages of Paul. 4. Proved by a striking discussion in the Epistle to the Romans, its scope and method explained. The advocates of foreknowledge refuted by the Apostle when he maintains that election is special and holy of grace. 5. Evasion refuted. A summary and analysis of the Apostle's discussion. 6. An exception with three answers to it. The efficacy of gratuitous election extends only to believers who are said to be elected according to foreknowledge. This foreknowledge or prescience is not speculative but active. 7. This proved from the words of Christ. Conclusion of the answer and solution of the objection with regard to Judas. 8. An objection taken from the ancient fathers, answer from Augustine, from Ambrose, as quoted by Augustine, and an invincible argument by an apostle. Summary of this argument. 9. Objection from Thomas Aquinas. Answer. 10. Objection of more modern writers. Answers. Passages in which there is a semblance of contradiction reconciled. Why many called and few chosen. An objection founded on mutual consent between the word and faith. Solution confirmed by the words of Paul, Augustine, and Bernard. A clear declaration by our Saviour. 11. The view to be taken of reprobation. It is founded on the righteous will of God. 1. Many controvert all the positions which we have laid down, especially the gratuitous election of believers, which, however, cannot be overthrown. For they commonly imagine that God distinguishes between men according to the merits which he foresees that each individual is to have, giving the adoption of sons to those whom he foreknows will not be unworthy of his grace and dooming those to destruction, whose dispositions he perceives will be prone to mischief and wickedness. Thus, by interposing foreknowledge as a veil, they not only obscure election, but pretend to give it a different origin. Nor is this the commonly received opinion of the vulgar merely, for it has in all ages had great supporters. See section 8. This I candidly confess, lest any one should expect greatly to prejudice our cause by opposing it with their names. The truth of God is here too certain to be shaken, too clear to be overborne by human authority. 
others who are neither versed in scripture nor entitled to any weight, assail sound doctrine with a petulance and improbity which it is impossible to tolerate. Because God of his mere good pleasure electing some passes by others, they raise a plea against him. But if the fact is certain, what can they gain by quarreling with God? We teach nothing but what experience proves to be true. Videlicet that God has always been at liberty to bestow his grace on whom he would. Not to ask in what respect the posterity of Abraham excelled others, if it be not in a worth, the cause of which has no existence out of God. Let them tell why men are better than oxen or asses. God might have made them dogs when he formed them in his own image. Will they allow the lower animals to expostulate with God, as if the inferiority of their condition were unjust? It is certainly not more equitable that men should enjoy the privilege which they have not acquired by any merit, than that he should variously distribute favors as seems to him meet. If they pass to the case of individuals where inequality is more offensive to them, they ought at least, in regard to the example of our Saviour, to be restrained by feelings of awe from talking so confidently of this sublime mystery. He has conceived a mortal man of the seed of David. What, I would ask them, are the virtues by which he deserved to become in the very womb, the head of angels the only begotten Son of God, the image and glory of the Father, the light, righteousness, and salvation of the world? It is wisely observed by Augustine that in the very head of the church we have a bright mirror of free election, lest it should give any trouble to us the members. Videlicet, that he did not become the Son of God by living righteously, but was freely presented with this great honor, that he might afterwards make others partakers of his gifts. Should any one here ask why others are not what he was, or why we are all at so great a distance from him, why we are all corrupt while he is purity, he would not only betray his madness, but his effrontery also. But if they are bent on depriving God of the free right of electing and reprobating, let them at the same time take away what has been given to Christ. It will now be proper to attend to what Scripture declares concerning each. When Paul declares that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, he certainly shows that no regard is had to our own worth, for it is just as if he had said, since in the whole seed of Adam our Heavenly Father found nothing worthy of his election, he turned his eye upon his own anointed that he might select as members of his body those whom he was to assume into the fellowship of life. Let believers, then, give full effect to this reason. Videlicet, that we were in Christ adopted unto the heavenly inheritance, because, in ourselves, we were incapable of such excellence. This he elsewhere observes in another passage, in which he exhorts the Colossians to give thanks that they had been made meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. If election precedes that divine grace by which we are made fit to obtain immortal life, what can God find in us to induce him to elect us? What I mean is still more clearly explained in another passage. God, says he, has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Here he opposes the good pleasure of God to our merits of every description. 2. That the proof may be more complete, it is of importance to attend to the separate clauses of that passage. When they are connected together they leave no doubt. From giving them the name of elect, 
it is clear that he is addressing believers, as indeed he shortly after declares. It is, therefore, a complete perversion of the name to confine it to the age in which the gospel was published. By saying they were elected before the foundation of the world, he takes away all reference to worth. For what ground of distinction was there between persons who as yet existed not, and persons who were afterwards like them to exist in Adam? But if they were elected in Christ, it follows not only that each was elected on some extrinsic ground, but that some were placed on a different footing from others, since we see that all are not members of Christ. In the additional statement that they were elected that they might be holy, the Apostle openly refutes the error of those who deduce election from prescience, since he declares that whatever virtue appears in men is the result of election. Then, if a higher cause is asked, Paul answers that God so predestined, and predestined according to the good pleasure of his will. By these words he overturns all the grounds of election which men imagine to exist in themselves. For he shows that whatever favors God bestows in reference to the spiritual life flow from this one fountain, because God chose whom he would, and before they were born had the grace which he designed to bestow upon them set apart for their use. 3. Wherever this good pleasure of God reigns, no good works are taken into account. The Apostle, indeed, does not follow out the antithesis, but is to be understood, as he himself explains it in another passage, Who has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began? Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 We have already shown that the additional words, that we might be holy, remove every doubt. If you say that he foresaw they would be holy, and therefore elected them, you invert the order of Paul. You may therefore safely infer, if he elected us that we might be holy, he did not elect us because he foresaw that we would be holy. The two things are evidently inconsistent. Videla said that the pious owe it to election that they are holy, and yet attain to election by means of works. There is no force in the cavil to which they are ever recurring that the Lord does not bestow election in recompense of proceeding, but bestows it in consideration of future merits. For when it is said that believers were elected that they might be holy, it is at the same time intimated that the holiness which was to be in them has its origin in election. And how can it be consistently said that things derived from election are the cause of election? The very thing which the Apostle had said he seems afterwards to confirm by adding, according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. For the expression that God purposed in himself is the same as if it had been said that in forming his decree he considered nothing external to himself. And accordingly it is immediately subjoined that the whole object contemplated in our election is that we should be to the praise of his glory. Assuredly divine grace would not deserve all the praise of election were not election gratuitous and it would not be gratuitous did God, in electing any individual, pay regard to his future works. Hence, what Christ said to his disciples is found to be universally applicable to all believers. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. John chapter 15, verse 16. Here he not only excludes past merits, but declares that they had nothing in themselves for which they could be chosen, except in so far as his mercy anticipated. And how are we to understand the words of Paul, who has first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? Romans chapter 11, verse 35. 
His meaning obviously is that men are altogether indebted to the preventing goodness of God, there being nothing in them, either past or future, to conciliate his favor. 4. In the Epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 9, verse 6, in which he again treats this subject more recondite and at greater length, he declares that they are not all Israel which are of Israel. For though all were blessed in respect of hereditary rights, yet all did not equally obtain the succession. The whole discussion was occasioned by the pride and vainglorying of the Jews, who, by claiming the name of the church for themselves, would have made the faith of the gospel dependent on their pleasure, just as in the present day the Papists would fain under this pretext substitute themselves in place of God. Paul, while he concedes that in respect of the covenant they were the holy offspring of Abraham, yet contends that the greater part of them were strangers to it, and that not only because they were degenerate and so had become bastards instead of sons, but because the principal point to be considered was the special election of God, by which alone his adoption was ratified. If the piety of some established them in the hope of salvation, and the revolt of others was the sole cause of their being rejected, it would have been foolish and absurd in Paul to carry his readers back to a secret election. But if the will of God, no cause of which external to him either appears or is to be looked for, distinguishes some from others, so that all the sons of Israel are not true Israelites, it is vain for any one to seek the origin of his condition in himself. He afterwards prosecutes the subject at greater length by contrasting the cases of Jacob and Esau. Both being sons of Abraham, both having been at the same time in the womb of their mother, there was something very strange in the change by which the honor of the birthright was transferred to Jacob, and yet Paul declares that the change was an attestation to the election of the one and the reprobation of the other. The question considered is the origin and cause of election. The advocates of foreknowledge insist that it is to be found in the virtues and vices of men. For they take the short and easy method of asserting that God showed in the person of Jacob that he elects those who are worthy of his grace, and in the person of Esau that he rejects those whom he foresees to be unworthy. Such is their confident assertion, but what does Paul say? For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, Rebecca, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Romans chapter 9, verses 11 to 13. If foreknowledge had anything to do with this distinction of the brothers, the mention of time would have been out of place. Granting that Jacob was elected for a worth to be obtained by future virtues, to what end did Paul say that he was not yet born? Nor would there have been any occasion for adding that as yet he had done no good, because the answer was always ready, that nothing is hid from God, and that therefore the piety of Jacob was present before him. If works procure favor, a value ought to have been put upon them before Jacob was born, just as if he had been of full age. But in explaining the difficulty, the apostle goes on to show that the adoption of Jacob proceeded not on works, but on the calling of God. In works he makes no mention of past or future, but distinctly opposes them to the calling of God, intimating that when place is given to the one, the other is overthrown, as if he had said, The only thing to be considered is what pleased God, not what men furnished of themselves. Lastly, it is certain that all the causes which men are wont to devise as external to the secret counsel of God 
are excluded by the use of the terms purpose and election. 5. Why should men attempt to darken these statements by assigning some place in election to past or future works? This is altogether to evade what the Apostle contends for, videlicet, that the distinction between the brothers is not found on any ground of works, but on the mere calling of God, inasmuch as it was fixed before the children were born. Had there been any solidity in this subtlety, it would not have escaped the notice of the Apostle. But being perfectly aware that God foresaw no good in man, save that which he had already previously determined to bestow by means of his election, he does not employ a preposterous arrangement which would make good works antecedent to their cause. We learn from the Apostle's words that the salvation of believers is founded entirely on the decree of divine election, that the privilege is procured not by works, but free calling. We have also a specimen of the thing itself set before us. Esau and Jacob are brothers, begotten of the same parents, within the same womb, not yet born. In them all things are equal, and yet the judgment of God with regard to them is different. He adopts the one and rejects the other. The only right of precedence was that of primogeniture, but that is disregarded, and the younger is preferred to the elder. Nay, in the case of others, God seems to have disregarded primogeniture for the express purpose of excluding the flesh from all ground of boasting. Rejecting Ishmael, he gives his favor to Isaac. Postponing Manasseh, he honors Ephraim. 6. Should any one object that these minute and inferior favors do not enable us to decide with regard to the future life, that it is not to be supposed that he who received the honor of primogeniture was thereby adopted to the inheritance of heaven, Many objectors do not even spare Paul, but accuse him of having in the quotation of these passages wrested Scripture from its proper meaning. I answer as before, that the Apostle has not erred through inconsideration, or spontaneously misapplied the passages of Scripture, but he saw, what these men cannot be brought to consider, that God purposed under an earthly sign to declare the spiritual election of Jacob, which otherwise lay hidden at his inaccessible tribunal. For unless we refer the primogeniture bestowed upon him to the future world, the form of blessing would be altogether vain and ridiculous, inasmuch as he gained nothing by it but a multitude of toils and annoyances, exile, sharp sorrows, and bitter cares. Therefore, when Paul knew beyond a doubt that by the external God manifested the spiritual and unfading blessings which he had prepared for his servant in his kingdom, he hesitated not in proving the latter to draw an argument from the former. For we must remember that the land of Canaan was given in pledge of the heavenly inheritance, and that therefore there cannot be a doubt that Jacob was like the angels engrafted into the body of Christ, that he might be a partaker of the same life. Jacob, therefore, is chosen, while Esau is rejected. The predestination of God makes a distinction where none existed in respect of merit. If you ask the reason, the apostle gives it. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Romans chapter 9 verse 15 And what, pray, does this mean? It is just a clear declaration by the Lord that he finds nothing in men themselves to induce him to show kindness, that it is owing entirely to his own mercy, and accordingly that their salvation is his own work. Since God places your salvation in himself alone, why should you descend to yourself? Since he assigns you his own mercy alone, why will you recur to your own merits? Since he confines your thoughts to his own mercy, why do you turn partly to the view of your own works? 
We must therefore come to that smaller number whom Paul elsewhere describes as foreknown of God. Romans chapter 11, verse 2. Not foreknown, as these men imagine, by idle, inactive contemplations, but in the sense which it often bears. For surely, when Peter says that Christ was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, he does not represent God as contemplating merely, but as actually accomplishing our salvation. Thus also Peter, in saying that the believers to whom he writes are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, properly expresses that secret predestination by which God has sealed those whom he has been pleased to adopt as sons. In using the term purpose as synonymous with a term which uniformly denotes what is called a fixed determination, he undoubtedly shows that God, in being the author of our salvation, does not go beyond himself. In this sense he says in the same chapters that Christ as a lamb was foreordained before the creation of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 What could have been more frigid or absurd than to have represented God as looking from the height of heaven to see whence the salvation of the human race was to come? By a people foreknown, Peter means the same thing as Paul does, by a remnant selected from a multitude falsely assuming the name of God. In another passage, to suppress the vain boasting of those who, while only covered with a mask, claim for themselves in the view of the world a first place among the godly, Paul says, The Lord knoweth them that are his. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 In short, by that term he designates two classes of people, the one consisting of the whole race of Abraham, the other a people separated from that race, and though hidden from human view, yet open to the eye of God. And there is no doubt that he took the passage from Moses, who declared that God would be merciful to whomsoever he pleased, although he was speaking of an elect people whose condition was apparently equal, just as if he had said that in a common adoption was included a special grace which he bestows on some as a holier treasure, and that there is nothing in the common covenant to prevent this number from being exempted from the common order. God, being pleased in this matter to act as a free dispenser and disposer, distinctly declares that the only ground on which he will show mercy to one rather than to another is his sovereign pleasure. For when mercy is bestowed on him who asks it, though he indeed does not suffer a refusal, he, however, either anticipates or partly acquires a favor, the whole merit of which God claims for himself. End of section 40